Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, speak to your people now, we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, my topic this morning, as I speak to you from God's Word in Genesis chapter 17, is the covenant. The covenant. That word covenant can refer to any relationship that's built on promises, like an alliance between two countries. If somebody attacks you, we'll come to your defense. Or a marriage. I take you, Alicia, to be my wife, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. In a covenant, the promises make it possible for the partners to relate in a new way, to live together with new trust and intimacy. And the covenant at the center of our passage this morning is not just any old covenant, but the covenant of God with Abraham. If you were here two weeks ago, you may remember how God established his covenant with Abram already back in chapter 15 by passing in between all those animals that had been cut in half. Here in chapter 17, God reestablishes that same covenant by affirming the promises he's already made, expanding on them, and then adding something quite new, the command of circumcision. So we're talking about God's covenant with Abraham, but not with Abraham only. Through Abraham, God makes this covenant with all his people. He tells Abraham, this covenant is between me and you and your offspring after you throughout all their generations. An everlasting covenant. This is God's covenant with Abraham and all his offspring. And it says in the New Testament, if you are Christ's, You are Abraham's offspring. So the covenant we're reading about here isn't just some private arrangement between God and Abraham. And it's not just some relic of the past that's not really relevant to today. No, the covenant that God makes with Abraham in this passage is the same one, the same covenant that he has maintained with his people all through history even to this day. If you are Christ's, if you belong to Christ by faith and by baptism, then I'm talking this morning about the covenant of God with you. The covenant he established long ago, thousands of years ago, so that he could have a new kind of relationship, not only with Abraham, but with you and with all his saints. So we're talking about God's covenant with his people, and the plan for this sermon is simply to make three observations about that covenant. First, God establishes the covenant by his grace. Second, God commands us to keep the covenant. Third, God enables us to continue in the covenant. God establishes the covenant by his grace, He commands us to keep the covenant, and he enables us to continue in the covenant. 
So, let's start with point number one, a good place to start. God establishes the covenant by his grace. By his grace means it's not because of anything Abraham has done that God makes this covenant with him. The covenant doesn't come through Abraham's goodness, faithfulness, or devotion to God. Rather, the covenant becomes, comes because of God's goodness, faithfulness, and devotion to humankind. You've heard this same theme in many of our passages in Genesis recently, and we see it again in our text today. When the Lord appears to Abram in verse 1 of our text, it's not because Abram has earned some kind of special attention from God, but because God in his goodness desires to establish his covenant with us. Look with me, if you would, at verses 1 and 2 of our text. They're in your bulletin before you. Verses 1 and 2. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Now, at first pass, at first hearing, it might sound like God is making the establishment of the covenant conditional on Abraham's behavior. Like, walk before me and be blameless, and in a couple of years we'll do a little performance review to see whether you've been a good enough person, and if you pass, then I'll make my covenant with you. Well, praise God that that's not what he's saying here. The context shows us that that's not at all what God intends. Because right after telling Abram, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, God launches right in to the covenant making. Without even waiting to see whether Abram will really turn out to be blameless, he just goes ahead and starts making promises to Abram. Behold, my covenant is with you, he begins in verse 4. Behold, my covenant is with you. Just like that, without any work on Abram's part, God announces, my covenant is with you. And then in verses 4 to 8, God affirms and expands on all the promises he's already made to Abram. God promises that he will have many descendants, whole nations worth of descendants. So many offspring that God sees fit to change his name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means something like father of a whole multitude. God promises that Abraham's offspring will inherit the land of Canaan. And don't miss this one, the best promise of all. God promises that he will be the God of Abraham and his offspring. That he will be their God. Rather like how in the marriage covenant we say, I will be your husband and I take you to be my wife. In this covenant, God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. So God makes a whole bunch of promises to Abraham, and it's by making these promises, by making them and reaffirming them, and then keeping them faithfully forever, that God establishes his covenant with Abraham and with us. 
That's what's at the core of the covenant. God's promises. God's grace. God's desire to wed himself to us as his people. It's God's action, not Abraham's, that establishes the covenant. And you can hear it throughout verses 4 and 8. God tells Abraham, I have made you the father of a multitude. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations. I will establish my covenant between me and you. I will give to your offspring the land of Canaan. I will be their God. It's I, 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 because the covenant is all about what God is doing and what God is promising to do. So that's point number one, that God establishes the covenant by his grace. And it brings us to point number two. God commands us to keep the covenant. After showing Abraham and us that he's established the covenant relationship by his grace, God goes on to teach Abraham and us our part in the relationship. As for you, God says in verse 9, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. God's part is to establish the covenant. Our part is to keep the covenant. And it's here that God's commands come in. His commands to Abraham and to us. The commands of God, which we find all over the place in Scripture, in the Old Testament and the New, they teach us how to live out the new relationship God has graciously established with us. Our obedience to God's commands is not the foundation of the covenant relationship, but it is the right way for us to act as members of the covenant. God's grace demands that we respond to his grace in the way we live. That because he first loved us, we ought to love him in return and to love each other. When God commands Abraham in verse 9, you shall keep my covenant, he's introducing this new idea. This idea that his grace to Abraham will actually require Abraham to live in a new way. Later on in the Bible, God would give his people lots of specific commands about how to live that new life. Through the law of Moses and then through the prophets. But for now, here at the very beginning of the covenant, God starts his people off with just one command. To begin with, there's just one thing that God requires of Abraham and of his offspring. And that's circumcision. This is my covenant, God says in verse 10. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Why circumcision, you may be asking? 
Why is this the very first command that God gives his chosen people? We might have expected God to start off with something like, don't have any other gods before me, or thou shalt not commit murder. But instead, he starts off with something that I'm guessing strikes many of us as quite weird. Why does God want Abraham and his male descendants to cut off their foreskins? What's the point of that? Well, God commands circumcision, as he says in verse 11 of this text, as a sign of the covenant, a sign of the whole covenant relationship. This one small, strange command is a symbol of everything that God wants for his people. How so? Well, let's dig into it a little bit here. The foreskin is, of course, a normal part of the male anatomy, a part of the male body as God designed it. But in circumcision, something normal is transformed by God's command into something holy and different. That's what God wants to do for his whole people, to take our normal lives and transform them by his covenant into holy lives. Lives set apart for him and marked by him as different from the rest of the world. The removal of the foreskin unveils a very intimate, private part of the body. And that's a sign of how the change God wants to make in the lives of his covenant people is extreme. It affects our whole lives, all the way down to the most sensitive and private parts of our life. In the covenant relationship, even those parts of our lives that we normally keep hidden or protected from others must be exposed to God. In this way, circumcision is a sign of how the whole life of God's people needs to be given over to him. And so it makes sense that in other places in the Old Testament, we see circumcision applied metaphorically to other parts of the body as well. For example, when someone is unworthy to speak God's truth, the Bible says he has uncircumcised lips. When someone doesn't listen to God's word, the Bible says she has uncircumcised ears. When the people of God turn away from his commands, the Bible says that they have uncircumcised hearts. Keeping the covenant, then, means more than just circumcising one organ of the body. In a spiritual sense, the entire human person, male and female, needs to be circumcised, opened up to God. To really keep the covenant means, as our Lord Jesus puts it, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind. To have our whole being devoted to God and transformed by him into something holy. 
God establishes the covenant by his grace alone. But as the saying goes, it takes two to tango. God initiates the relationship, but it's in the very nature of a relationship that we must respond. That just as he devotes himself entirely to us, we must devote ourselves entirely to him. But what if we don't? What if receiving God's grace, we fail to respond to his grace in the way we live? What if receiving God's complete devotion, we fail to devote ourselves to him in turn? And instead of living for him, live for ourselves and chase after the false gods of this world. Well, the Bible describes this as abandoning or breaking the covenant. And it has terrible consequences. We can see them in verse 14 of our text. Would you look there with me? Verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Circumcision is weird. It's painful. It's a big, lifelong commitment. So you can understand why somebody might not want to go through with it. But unless Abraham's male descendants do go through with it, God says that they will be cut off from his people and from his covenant. And the extended spiritual sense of this, I think, is that unless we devote our whole selves to God, we have not really kept the covenant. If any part of our life is uncircumcised, if we keep anything back from God, hidden from him, covered up from him, if there's any opinion or attitude or behavior that we refuse to submit to God's sanctifying surgery, then we will be cut off from God's people. If you understand what I'm saying, you should be a little bit terrified by what I just said. Because the truth is that none of us can say that we have lived up to this standard. None of us has kept Jesus' command to love the Lord with our whole being. None of us has a heart that is fully devoted to God. And so we are all of us covenant breakers. Because each of us has received God's abundant grace and then failed to live accordingly. On our own merits, we all would be cut off from the covenant. But, praise God, we come to point three here. Point one, God establishes the covenant by his grace. Point two, God commands us to keep the covenant with our whole being. And point three, even when we fail to keep the covenant, God enables us to continue in the covenant. The same God who by his grace 
established that covenant relationship in the first place, now, also by his grace, enables us to continue in his covenant, to continue in relationship with him in spite of our sin. To continue in the covenant, we need God's help in a few different ways. First, we need his forgiveness. Since we're covenant breakers, offending against the covenant daily. If we're to continue as part of God's people, we need God to forgive our offenses. To remove the things we've done that cut us off from him. This is our need today. It was also Abraham's need back then, because Abraham is a sinner too, right? We've seen that already in this sermon series. He's a sinner just like us. And so when God tells him, be blameless, we know right off the bat that Abraham is not blameless. So right from the very beginning of the covenant, God's people stood in need of God's forgiveness. Abraham needed God's forgiveness, and so do his offspring. The whole people of God, through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, right down to us here today. To continue in relationship with God, we need God's forgiveness. And praise God, through Jesus Christ, we have received it. By his death on the cross, Jesus has secured our forgiveness Forgiveness for all of God's people. He's wiped away the offenses against the covenant that would cut us off from God. Once for all time, God has done this through Jesus. From Abraham's day to ours and beyond, God forgives our offenses so that instead of being cut off from his people, we can continue in the covenant, continue to walk with him. And God accomplishes this by the blood of Jesus. The blood, as Jesus himself says in Matthew's Gospel, the blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And not only does God forgive our offenses against the covenant, he also gives us a heart to keep the covenant. God gives us his Holy Spirit who transforms and sanctifies our hearts, who circumcises our hearts, as it were, cutting away everything that keeps our heart closed off from God and transforming that deep, intimate part of us into something holy, something wholly devoted to the love of God. The Holy Spirit does this work in us, as I've said many times, slowly, gradually, over the course of a whole lifetime. But even while the Holy Spirit is still working in our hearts, still perfecting us, already he unites us with Jesus. The Spirit unites you with Jesus. So that in God's eyes, you share in all the merits of Jesus' perfect covenant-keeping. Jesus, the only one of God's people who ever kept all of God's commands, who every moment of his life walked before God and was blameless, 
We are united with that great covenant keeper so that his blamelessness covers us before God. And so in Jesus, we have received as a spiritual reality everything that the physical sign of circumcision once pointed to. Our whole lives are opened up to God and sanctified by him. That's why, in case you were wondering, we Christian men are not required to be circumcised in our flesh or to have our sons circumcised. It's not that we ignore this command of God. No, we must never ignore any of God's commands in Scripture. But because this command has been fulfilled in Jesus. The New Testament tells us that if we have been united to Jesus by faith in baptism, then we have been circumcised. Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, indeed whether you're a man or a woman, If you have faith in Jesus, then in him you have been circumcised. In Jesus, God has marked you forever as a member of his people, as a member of his everlasting covenant. So there's point number three. God enables us to continue in the covenant by forgiving our offenses against the covenant by transforming our hearts, and by uniting us with the one true covenant keeper, our Lord Jesus Christ, God enables us to keep covenant with him, to continue now and forever in that relationship of holy intimacy which he so graciously desires to share with us. God establishes the covenant by his grace, He commands us to keep the covenant, and he enables us to continue in his covenant, in spite of our failures. Until, by his grace, from start to finish, he brings us to the place he has prepared for all his covenant people, to live with him forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for all these gracious gifts. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.